Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Back in the 1800s, there was a great preacher in England by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And when people would go to hear him preach, they would say, let's go watch Spurgeon burn, <laughs> hoping that they would catch some of his fire for the Lord. Well, in this program, we are going to watch an ancient church burn, the church of Smyrna. They were on fire for the Lord. And let's hope some of their fire rubs off on us. If you missed last week, we are now going through a seven-week series on the seven churches of Revelation. Let me show you the, the globe here. Um, this is America, where we live, of course. Over here in Europe, there's Europe, and then right here is the modern country called Turkey. But back in the Roman Empire, it was Asia Minor. Seven churches in this area are what the... Uh, book of Revelation addresses in the seven churches. We did uh, Ephesians last week. Today we're going to study the ancient church of Smyrna. If, if you would, take out your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and let's catch their fire. Let's pray first. Father, we pray for America, America because many of our churches have grown cold. Some are on fire for, for you. And some simply are not. And we would pray, Lord, for revival in America, that you would bring our churches back to the Bible and to back to being on fire. And Lord, for each of us personal individuals watching this show, help us be on fire for you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 2, before I jump into that, let me just tell you what the city of Smyrna was like in 95 AD when John the Apostle wrote this letter to them. The ancient city of Smyrna was renowned for its beauty. It was a city built on a hill that overlooked the ocean. It had beautiful buildings. It was a trading center. It had a harbor. Its rival city for trade was Ephesus. It had a stadium. It had a library. It had a music hall. It had a large theater. It had temples to Sibeli, to Zeus, to Apollos, to Aphrodite, and they had a temple to the snake god, Asclepius, the god of healing. Uh, the, the city of Smyrna was very faithful to the Roman Empire. When was the church founded in the city of Smyrna? Probably during Paul's missionary journey. He stayed in Ephesus for two years, and he probably also went to Smyrna and founded the church there. There was a large Jewish population in Smyrna, and they opposed the Christians. And Smyrna had a bishop by the name of Polycarp who was martyred in Smyrna in 155 AD. So let's look at, this, at the letter. Now Jesus has appeared in, to John in the book of Revelation. Jesus is giving John a letter to take to Smyrna, and here's what Jesus says. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus said, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, now Jesus is talking about himself, 
the words of the first and the last. Here's the first lesson. The first and the last is Jesus here, but it's God in the Old Testament. Now follow this. If you were to read Isaiah 44, it says, I am the first and the last. There, besides me, there is no God, says the Lord. And then in Isaiah 48, I am the first, I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. So if in the Old Testament, God says, I'm the first and the last, and then in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the first and the last, then Jesus must be the Old Testament God. This happens a number of places in the New Testament where an Old Testament verse that referred to God is requoted in the New Testament and applied to Jesus because the writers of the New Testament believed that Jesus is God. Look at verse 8. The words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Here's the next lesson. The persecuted need to remember the resurrection. The Smyrnians are about to go through intense persecution, so Jesus reminds them there's something coming called the resurrection that's going to make it all worth it. And now I want to tell you the story of Polycarp. Please listen to this great story. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. He was martyred on Saturday, February 23rd, 155 A.D. It was the time of the public games in town. The city was crowded. The crowds were excited. Suddenly the shout went up, away with the atheists, meaning the Christians, because they wouldn't worship Caesar, so people thought they were atheists. Away with the Christian atheists. Let Polycarp, the bishop, be searched for. Well, Polycarp could have escaped, but he had a dream that he was sleeping on a pillow of fire. And he awoken and he told his disciples, I believe I'll be martyred. His whereabouts was betrayed by a slave boy who buckled under torture. They came to arrest Polycarp. He ordered the police should come in and be given a meal. All he asked was that he have time to say his last prayers. Not even the police captain wished to see Polycarp die. As they were traveling now uh, to the city, he pleaded with the old man. What harm is it to say that Caesar is Lord and to offer the sacrifice to him and be saved? But Polycarp was adamant, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. When Polycarp entered the arena, it is said that he heard a voice from heaven, quote, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. The proconsul gave Polycarp the choice of cursing Christ and worshiping Caesar or death. Polycarp said these famous words, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened Polycarp with burning. Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quenched? For you do not know about the fire which awaits the wicked in judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. So the, the crowds came with lots of wood and they were going to bind him to the stake. But he said, leave me as I am. He who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain unmoved even in the flames. No need for the nails was his point. So they left him bound. And Polycarp prayed this prayer. O Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have received full knowledge of thee, God of angels and powers, God of all creation, and of the whole family of the righteous who live before thee, I bless thee that thou hast granted me this day and hour that I may share among the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body in the immorality of the Holy Spirit. And may I today be received among them, the martyrs, before thee is a rich and acceptable sacrifice. For this reason I also praise thee for all things. I bless thee, I glorify thee through the eternal and heavenly high priest Jesus Christ, thy beloved child, through whom be glory to thee with him and with the Holy Spirit both now and for the ages that are to come. Amen. And he died. But did you catch in his prayer what helped him get through the persecution? The knowledge of the resurrection that when you die, you don't die, you're going to be raised again. Back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus says to this church, this suffering church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation. Here's the next lesson. Christians are not spared tribulation. I've preached on this many times. There is a smelly teaching in the church today called the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel. And you've seen these people on TV. All suffering is from the devil. God doesn't want you to suffer ever. So you're always going to be healthy. You're always going to have money and be prosperous. Because if you just name it and claim it and believe right, God's always, because God never, what do you mean? Jesus says, I know your tribulation. Christian, we are supposed to go through tribulation. <laughs> I mean, if you're always looking for the mountaintop, you need to stop that. We're not supposed to be in heaven yet. And verse 9 again, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Next lesson, yes, Christians can be poor. I got a letter from one of our viewers in another state, and he took me to task because he's into the prosperity gospel. And my point to him was, what irks me about the prosperity preachers is they give the impression that poor people don't have enough faith. And if they had enough faith, they'd be writing a Cadillac like I, the preacher, am writing. I mean, it's a horrible teaching. And I, my point to him was, Jesus was poor. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and you can be a full faith Christian and be poor. In a... Uh, you know, we have this wacko version of Christianity in, in America, the prosperity gospel, to make us wealthy American Christians feel good about our materialism. And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, he says to the Smyrnians. Here's the next lesson. True riches are spiritual. Yes, Jesus makes you rich. Yes, you will prosper, but it's a spiritual prosperity. It's a spiritual witness, witness, uh, uh, richness. In a few weeks, we're going to study the church of Laodicea. They had the opposite situation as the church in Smyrna. In Smyrna, they were physically poor, but spiritually rich. When you read about the Laodicean church, they were physically rich, but spiritually poor. And Jesus' point here is, I would rather have you be physically poor and spiritually rich than like most Americans, uh, uh, physically rich and spiritually poor. <laughs> Look at verse 9. I know the slander of those who say, dot, 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 next, next lesson, Christian, expect to be slandered. 
expect people who don't know God to twist your words. Now, something that's kind of new for me is I'm writing Facebook articles and I'm doing tweets. I barely know what I'm doing. But if you go to our website, pastorstudy.org, two S's, pastorstudy.org, hit the Facebook pay, uh, button in the left-hand column, and I write a lot of articles about heresy in the church and what's happening in America. Well, <laughs> I feel like I've stepped in something. I'm getting this hostile reaction from, Lu I'm a Lutheran pastor. These are Lutheran pastors. One pastor who used obscenity about me, I had to finally block him. And, and here's what I had done. I'd written, a let, I'd written an article about this other Lutheran pastor who basically made the point, isn't it great, John and Tony, this homosexual couple, are reunited, reunited now in heaven because both of them are dead. And I wrote an article saying, wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 6 says idolaters or adulterers, homosexuals, etc. don't go to heaven. If they continued to live in that sin and never repented, they're not in heaven together. Well, this pastor called me a name I can't repeat in his blog. He he said that I am picketing funerals like Westboro Baptist, just make stuff up. And it was very frustrating. Well, Christian, I guess we need to expect to be slandered. You know what the same Lutheran pastor said? Quote, if Jesus wasn't single, Jesus was in a committed relationship with the Apostle John. Now, once upon a time, you say something like that, you'd be kicked out of the Lutheran ministry. This man is a prominent pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So my point is, Christian, if you're going to stand for Christ, expect people to twist your words. Let me tell you what the ancient slanders were against Christians. Here's what they used to say about Christians back in 95 AD. Number one, Christians are cannibals. Because they'd go into their church and they'd eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus Christ. They're cannibals. Or they're into orgies. Because early Christians had what they called the agape feast. They'd have dinner together and well, it was really an orgy. Or the claim was these Christians are atheists. They won't worship Caesar, so they're atheists. Or uh, the problem with these Christians, they're unpatriotic. They won't worship Caesar, so they're unpatriotic. So my, my point is, if people at your workplace or in your school are twisting your words and slandering you, you're in pretty good company. <laughs> they did the same to Jesus, to the apostles, and today. Look at verse 9. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. The Jews were persecuting the Christians in Smyrna, and Jesus is saying this. There's the next lesson. Jews who reject Jesus are not real Jews. There is a heresy in, the, in some of the more liberal denominations today called two-covenant theology, and it goes like this. The Jews are saved by the Old Testament. Christians are saved by the New Testament, but we're both saved. Well, according to Jesus here, if you're a Jew and you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a real Jew. And Jesus, remember, was Jewish. The 12 apostles were Jewish. And in Acts chapter 4, you have Jewish Peter preaching to the Jews that there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved than the name of Jesus. The point is everybody, Jew, Gentile, Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, atheist, everybody needs to believe in Christ to be saved. Verse 9, these Jews who aren't really Jews who are persecuting the church, he said, they are a synagogue of Satan. Here's the next lesson. Those who persecute Christians are doing Satan's work. The Jews that were persecuting the Christians in Smyrna were doing the devil's work. I interviewed a few years ago a Muslim who became a Christian. 
he, he limped into the studio. His father had broken his hip. This man had received death threats. And the worst places on earth today to be a Christian are Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, the Sudan. These Muslim nations are the hardest places on the Christians on the planet. They're doing the work of the devil. Let me just read this to you. <clears throat> In Afghanistan, Rahman, who was 41 years old, converted to Christianity 16 years ago. He was turned into authorities by his own family. Afghanistan's new constitution declares that no law can be contrary to Islam, and some are demanding the death penalty for any Muslim who leaves Islam. Cut off his head, cried leading Islamic cleric Rauf. We will call on the people to pull him to pieces so there's nothing left. Let's look at verse 10. Do not fear. Here's the next lesson. Christians, we are not to fear those who can kill you. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. Disciples, don't, care those who, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear him who can kill body and soul. Fear God, that is, who can kill your body and soul in hell. So the, the point here is, Christians, do not fear those who can kill you. And, and I just, you know, I need to pray about this because I'm a people pleaser. And I want everyone to like me. And I've got to get over that. I'm not on earth to have everybody like me. I'm on earth to serve God. Uh, we, are, we are not to fear men, but God. Uh, Thomas Akempis writing in the 1400s, it is preferable to have the whole world against thee than Jesus offended with thee. So I got a phone call from a pastor's son. He's living with his girlfriend. And he said, I know Pastor Brock, it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage, but we're living together. And I know it's wrong, but I'm afraid if I move out, she'll get mad. <laughs> and I said, wouldn't it be better to have her mad at you than Almighty God mad at you? Jesus says, fear not men. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now let's stop here for a quick detour. And let's ask this question. Why does God allow Christians to suffer? Why is he going to let some of them be thrown into jail? Why is he letting Muslims behead Christians in Afghanistan? I mean, why does God allow this? Well, we're going to give you a few reasons now why God allows suffering. The first one is right here in verse 10. Some of you will be thrown into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. The first reason God allows suffering, it's a test. You know, it's easy to be a Christian when everything is rosy. Will you cling to Christ when you are suffering? It's a test. Let me throw out some more reasons God allows a Christian to suffer. Number two, it can be discipline. I heard a preacher say, we Christians need lots of discipline because we're such unruly children. <laughs> um, another reason God allows suffering, it prevents sin. When I'm suffering... I don't sin as much. Another reason God allows suffering, character development. I mean, our character gets 
cleaned up when we're suffering. Another reason, suffering can lead to a testimony. When Jesus converted the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. But all the suffering Paul went through, it brought him before the kings of the Roman Empire. Sometimes your suffering leads to a testimony. And then lastly, suffering purifies. You know, these other seven churches in Revelation all get rebuked for something. The suffering church in Smyrna doesn't get rebuked for anything. Suffering purifies your church. Look at verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here's the test of your life and my life. Will you follow Christ to the end? Many people, and you know them, maybe you're one of them, they accept Christ, and then slowly they just fall away. Let me read one more time about that man suffering in Afghanistan. They want me, they want to sentence me to death, and I accept it, he said. But I am not a deserter, I am not an infidel, I am a Christian, which means I believe in the Trinity. I am serene, I have full awareness of what I have chosen. If I must die, I will die. Someone a long time ago did that for me. Here's a man who's willing to die for Christ. Let me ask you this question. Where are you at right now? Are you falling away or are you following Christ? I'm a Lutheran pastor. I have confirmed many classes of 13-year-olds who get up in front of the church and do their confirmation, and yes, I will follow Christ unto death. And five months later, you never see him again. I mean, here's a joke. It's not so funny, but here's the joke. A pastor has a garden, and every morning the rabbits are eating in his garden, eating up the vegetables. So one morning the pastor puts out poison, but next morning there's still rabbits eating his vegetables. So the next morning he puts out traps, gets up next morning still, rabbits eating his vegetables. So finally one morning he goes out and he says, I confirm thee, and they never came back. Where are you at right now? Will you follow Christ to the end? Here's why you should. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, who follows to the end, will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what is the second death? Well, to find it, you need to read later. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21. As for the cowardly, faithless, polluted, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their lot will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the last lesson today is the second death is hell. So my, my plea for you is this, if you have fallen, maybe you've never followed Christ, then it's time for you today to come to Christ, pray and ask him to forgive you and to be your savior. But if you did that years ago and you've drifted for the sake of your eternal soul, you don't want to go to that eternal second death. You need to come back to Christ because the test of life is and do what the ancient church of Smyrna did. Will you follow Christ even if it means suffering, even if it means your death? Amen. 
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, when people go to the lake of fire, are they destroyed? They're not. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, it says. And in, in is okay. it Matthew 27, Jesus talks about, or 26, the righteous go into eternal life, the unrighteous go into eternal punishment. So heaven's eternal, but hell also is eternal. And there is a false teaching that is taught by the Seventh-day Adventists and also by liberals in, in Christian denominations called annihilationism, that if you die and you don't believe in Christ, you just get annihilated, you get wiped out. I, I tried to believe that when I was young, the, the New Testament converted me, punishment is eternal punishment, according to Jesus. You know, you talked about this Muslim gentleman in your sermon today and that. How do the Muslims, who, who is going to the Muslims to try to t turn them to Christianity? Well, you know, there are, there are Christian missionaries in Islamic lands, but they have to be underground because it's illegal in some of these countries. In fact, you can be thrown in jail and killed if you try to evangelize some in, in some Muslim nations. So there are Christian missionaries there, but they have to be very careful. Muslim is such a violent religion for its people. Yeah. I, you know, I, guess I mean, Jackie, I know there are a lot of Muslims that are peace-loving, etc., but there is no denial that there is a strain in Islam that is brutal. Pastor Brock, can a true Christian really fall away from the faith? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about people getting confirmed and leaving the, yeah. the faith. Ah, that's, you know, there are Calvinists. The Calvinists would say if you're truly saved, you'll never fall away. Lutherans, I'm a Lutheran, tend to believe you can leave your, lose your salvation. Um, I kind of tend to think, Jackie, if you're truly saved, he will keep you saved. This is from, what is it, Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Well, what do you do with people that really look like Christians and fall away? Well, what the Calvinists would say, and maybe they got a point, well, either they never were really saved to begin with or they're coming back before they die. And that just happened with a friend of mine who left the faith for 30 years, now he's back. So I don't know that there's a super clear answer on that. Um, just we're to be on our toes and we're to never give in. Well, we've only got a half a minute left, and so I guess I'm just going to close today by saying thank you to all of our faithful listeners and people that watch this show we wouldn't be continuing to do this if it wasn't for your prayers and your support financially and just spiritually it's a growing experience for all of us so we pray that god would be with you this week granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time thank you for watching the pastor study you can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.